0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Episode 54 of the Intercooler podcast. And I suspect, Andrew, we're going to spend the next 40 minutes or so demonstrating why we write and talk about cars rather than run the companies that build them. But I don't, yes. I don't know, we'll see. Perhaps you'll, you'll be more insightful than I'm anticipating I will be. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't hang you out on it. <laughs> okay, uh, so in this episode we're, we're sort of imagining that we are the CEOs of particular car companies and we're going to say what we would do uh, in that position. And I mean, <laughs> we, could, we could really trip, our, trip ourselves up here, not, couldn't we? Not that we are in any way utterly and profoundly unqualified
0: <laughs> to make any of these decisions um you know uh, well we, we've all made predictions haven't we about where or, or said in the past what car companies should do in the future and um they never do um and most of them are still here <laughs> I mean, there's probably a very good reason why they don't but uh, we're gonna have a go uh, so i think yeah i the think the, thing the first is that although the opinions that we express will be serious and are genuinely our opinions i wouldn't necessarily take them you know, as being absolute gospel and, oh, yes, of course, that's what they should do. Because it's just
1: a couple of idiots who know nothing about business talking about what we do <laughs> if we're in their position. It, it certainly is that. Uh, okay, so if I was a CEO of a big car company, my first point of order would be yeah. no more April Fool's gags ever. A blanket ban. <laughs> none, just, none of those. This, in light of what's happened over uh, in the US for VW, Volkswagen, Volkswagen over the past few days um i mean I, I suspect you've had half an eye on that what, what did you make of it all is, is, do you think it's total storm in a teacup or is there uh is there more to it than that do you know there's a bit of me which thinks it's uh, that, that,
0: that, that thinks it's a work of genius because the very fact that you and i are sitting on this podcast talking about volkswagen and talking about electrification which frankly, had they not done this, we would never be dreaming of doing. Is that not proof that whatever it was they were trying to do has worked? You know, it it was a publicity campaign. Um, And, you know, we look at it, we think, oh God, that was a great joke, which went terribly wrong. And, you know, and, you know, Volkswagen shouldn't be seen to be in any way um, being less than entirely, you know, truthful, about particularly given what's gone on, particularly in the US. But actually... You know, I think there will be people in Wolfsburg and at head office in the US who are actually thinking, this hasn't played too badly for us. Mm. That's an interesting take.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's such a... For for the most part, I think it's such a fuss about nothing. I mean, come on. Who cares? As I understand it, they were were preparing uh, an April Fool's gag for... April 1st and it leaked a few days in advance and rather than just go okay it leaked you know we'll we'll hold our hands up it was a joke they they seemed they appeared to double down on it and insist uh, that it really was happening they tried to style it out as far as I could tell Um, and it got to a point where a handful of very serious journalists over in the U.S. working for proper grown-up organizations like Reuters got in touch (laughs) With the, the press office in the US to ask if this was genuine. And it was at that point that somebody somewhere took a decision to say, yes, it is genuine. We really are changing the name to Volkswagen. And so the consequence of that was that these journalists went back to their editors at these very grown-up titles and said, it's safe to run the story. It really is happening. And that seems to be what uh, you know, a, a hardcore group of people are getting upset about. Um, because i get i guess if you had no sense of humor whatsoever
0: you would say that volkswagen lied to the media
1: yes that's that but, is the accusation isn't it and it's and in, and in the context
0: of everything that's gone on over the last what it is five years um that is just that just shows that you know the I just hear them can't you oh yes you know the you know the bad practices that were there then remain to this day and you can just see them sort of taking this joke and just blowing into something it was never intended to be, and extrapolating way past the point where, you know, all logic suggests you should just, you know, understand what it was meant to be, and okay, maybe it went wrong, maybe it didn't, but just move on. Um, And, you know, just making it, as you say, a massive, you know, fuss about, you know, (laughs) a joke. It's a joke.
1: It got well out of hand, didn't it? And Dearing me. I think people probably did take it a bit too seriously. Uh, Okay, well, we won't bang on about that anymore. Um, Ryan Barnes, that was for you because you asked us to spend a couple of minutes talking about the whole VW. Thank you, Ryan. April Fool's fiasco, so there we go. hope you enjoyed it. Um, Okay, so to get us started on this week's podcast, a mantra of mine um, is that you shouldn't criticise anybody or their actions until you've really understood their position, until you've understood what the pressures are on them, what the limitations are on them, um, why why they make certain decisions. I, just, I think it's very easy for people on the outside to look in and go, why have they done that? That's stupid. But in truth, all these decisions within big car companies are made um, under enormous pressure and with very real limitations. Um, and so I, everything that I say in this podcast, and I, I'm really just talking for myself here, you know, it's it's a sort of considered, honestly held point of view, but I say it advisedly because I suspect the moment you're parachuted into one of these organisations and you understand what the pressures are, you under you 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 have a a sense of why things were done that way or why things weren't done that way, and so probably the way that you think about what a car company should and shouldn't do is is completely changed. So, yeah. But that's not your fault, is it? You know, we, you know,
0: car companies employ entire departments of people to manage their message, don't they? They're called press offices, marketing departments. Um, And, you know, it is their job to make sure that the public in general, and particularly people like you and me, only get that side of the story, which they want you to get. And if there is, you know, if there are internal difficulties, you know, if there are, you know um if there's civil war in the boardroom um if the money's running out you know those are all parts of the stories we never hear so you know we cannot you know even though we are journalists and if anybody's meant to be able to come to an informed judgment about these things it's us we can't because we genuinely unless we have and it's very very rare that this happens um we somehow have the ear of a ceo um who's prepared to tell us all of that. And, and usually they won't do that because apart from anything else, you know, these guys are accountable not just to their board, but usually to their shareholders too. And so we just don't get the thing. And, and your other point about, um, you know, trying not to pronounce on stuff until you're fully in the picture. I mean, obviously, clearly that's not possible. Um, the rule, when I was the editor of Motorsport magazine, I always had a hard and fast rule that if you were going to shoot down somebody else's idea, let's say somebody came up with an idea about anything from a headline for a story or some feature you want to run, no one was allowed to say, no, that's a shit story, that's a shit headline. You had to be able to say, you can say that's a shit story, that's a shit headline, but only if you could then say, here's a better one. Mm. Yeah? Mm, mm. So it turns something positive into something negative and something positive. Um, and so what I think we're going to try and do is come up with some thing rather than say, just sitting here going... Oh, you know, you know, Aston Martin shouldn't be making that. Ferrari shouldn't be making that. We're going to be saying what they should be making instead. And of course, the whole world's going to be hanging off our every word. You know, <laughs> and product plans will be changed for all time as a result of this podcast.
1: Oh, yeah. This will be Not, listened to in boardrooms around the world. Not, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, I, uh, okay. Just to reinforce that point that I made, I just want to give one example. Um, as a, as a car guy, someone who loves fast cars, uh, I probably wouldn't choose, um, I probably wouldn't have Lamborghini make the Urus because it's absolutely not the kind of car that I that I get a kick out of that I enjoy. However, if I was the CEO of Lamborghini and it was my responsibility to make that company stable and profitable and grow and deliver returns for the shareholders, all that sort of stuff, I probably would decide to do the Urus because it helps do all of those things. Um, having but it said also, that, go on. Sorry. It also means, you know,
0: this was the point that I completely failed to get about the KN when it came out twenty years ago. Um, it came out, and you know, and I was absolutely front and center of the queue of you know Porsche bashers saying, you know, this is outrageous, this is Porsche betraying its legacy, it's never going to work. People, don't, and you know, as in many things I'm about to say in the next half an hour, I couldn't have been more wrong. What I didn't appreciate was the relationship between the cars that we wanted Porsche to build and the cars that Porsche wanted to build. Because it was the credibility of things like the 911 which made people want Cayennes. And it was the profits that were realised by the Cayenne which allowed people uh, Porsche to then continue to invest in cars like the 911s. And if you look at the volumes of these cars, I mean, two-thirds of everything Porsche sells these days are SUVs, at least – Cars like the 911, you know, they probably wouldn't exist these days if it wasn't for the fact that they've got these SUVs, which we all are slightly sniffy about, um, providing these massive profits because they're big margin cars and they sell in large numbers. And so they make enormous amounts of money. And that's why we can have GT3 RSs. And I didn't, about 20 years ago, I didn't understand that relationship. And so every time we go, oh, you know, such and such company shouldn't be building an SUV. It's the wrong thing for this company to be doing. You have to think. Well, if they don't build that SUV, what else does that decision then mean? They won't be able to build. It here? Maybe it's a car you do want them to build. What are the consequences?
1: Yeah, absolutely right. And it's it's probably no coincidence, is it, that Porsche has been building the Cayenne for twenty years or so. Um, and in that time, its sports cars have become probably the most consistently very highly regarded vehicles of their type. Um, I mean, it has to. It comes hand in hand, doesn't it? Um, okay. Well, do you do you want to plonk yourself into the CEO's uh, chair at, at the the board table of a particular company? Do you want to get us started?
0: Well, I think the first thing I would like, if I can start, sort of slightly more generally, and say that you know, and, and you know, I, I I expect we're going to spend more of our time talking about quite low volume. Um, you know, sort of more sporting car manufacturers, because that's where I think, you know, people who listen to this podcast would want us to be. Um And, you know, and, and the difficulty for these people is always cash. It's always just keeping enough money to keep particularly development programs. You know, if you're going to develop an all new car from scratch, that requires an enormous um, amount of money and you have to keep the car- I mean, that's why, you know companies like you know Ferrari and Aston Martin and McLaren and so forth. They love doing these specials. These really, really, because it's basically it's the, it's the deposits for those cars, which do so much to fund, you know, the programs of the you know for the for the bread and butter cars, which you know actually you know they they derive their volume from. Um, and it's really really difficult. It's particularly difficult if you haven't got. Um, somebody's arm around your shoulder if you you know you know a company like you know McLaren I mean fair play to them um you know they're not like almost every other company owned by some massive international conglomeration um you know they're they they are owned by you know they have you know some shareholders um but it's not as if you know they've got Volkswagen and and the problem is that even if you've got shareholders with quite a lot of money even if, you know, the, the money itself is not the particular problem. If you think of the facilities, if you think of the technologies um, that, you know, a company like Volkswagen can bring to a company like Lamborghini or Bugatti. Um, if you haven't got that, uh, and I'm sure this is behind, um, for instance, the, uh, the reason that uh, Mercedes now owns a 20% stake in Aston Martin rather than a 5% stake in Aston Martin. Because... You know, it you just have to be able to access this stuff um, because otherwise it is so difficult when you're up against companies that you know are part of the largest car company in the world. It's really, really difficult. Um, and yeah, and you know that you know when times get tough, these cars companies you know can struggle. Things can get very difficult. You t- they you know they tend to you know when they have cars they can sell. They tend to knock them out. Um, and maybe sometimes make too many of them. And that, as we know, has you know, ongoing effects as well. Um, and all the while, there is this, you know, the elephant, isn't it, in the room of electrification. You know, how do you find the money to fund the programmes which are going to produce a new generation of cars you don't know anyone's even going to want? And which the infrastructure to support doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, you know, these guys who run these companies, uh, I I, I take my hat off to them because, I mean, it's, I mean, you know, we think we have, (laughs) we have to scratch our heads a bit because we're trying to do, you know, we're we're, we're trying to launch a new online magazine, Um, you know, compared to being a CEO of a car company. I mean, you know, and, and also the other thing is it's serious stuff because it's people's jobs, isn't it? It's thousands of people's jobs. It's serious, serious stuff. And, you know, and you make the wrong call. You go the wrong way. And you produce the car. You state your future on the car that people, it turns out that once we get to that future, we don't know where it is and we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know when it's going to be. But you get there and it actually is not the car that people want. Game's up. Mm. And And you haven't got a Volkswagen to go, oh, well, you know, that was an interesting Mm. experiment. Didn't work. Let's try something else now.
1: Mm. It's, it's it no. It's it's possible that there's never been a more difficult time to to steer um, a, a car company than now. I just I agree. I absolutely agree. You, actually, yeah. you, you wouldn't want to do it, would you? And I, I suspect someone like Andy Palmer has a, an awful lot to say about this. Um, I just I just don't envy those guys. I, I have to say, who are but I me, mean, Andy,
0: and pa- a- 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 Andy Palmer, who you know, who you and I both know. Um, you know his great belief was that he could keep Aston Martin independent. Um, and, you know, he wanted to stay in charge of the company, understandably so. Uh, and, well, I mean, it remains to be seen, doesn't it? But, you know, he's not there anymore. Um, Mercedes owns, you know, three times more of the company than it did when he was there. Um, and you know, for me, all I don't see in the 21st century, how these companies can indefinitely stay completely independent without some kind of arrangement with another larger company which can provide them with a safety net and with the technology and with the investment that they need.
1: Mm. Well, I think we've chosen a good place to start, Aston Martin. um, You are the CEO. Congratulations. You've just landed the job. Thank you very much. CEO of Aston Martin. Everyone's very proud. We've had a party. Um, a bit hungover, but on Monday morning, you have to start in this new role. Um, DBX yeah. might be a, a good place to start. I, I, it's quite clear that, um, led by Andy Palmer, Aston said, well, if we're going to do an SUV, we're going to do it properly. And we're not going to rebadge anybody else's. We're going to, we're going to build our own platform. And we're going to build a, a, a factory, a brand new factory, to manufacture this thing in. Um, I mean, that's a, an enormous undertaking. Was it the right one though? Should they have just stuck some new body panels on a GLS or something? They always
0: said that they couldn't make that car look like an Aston Martin, um, and you know, and, and and if you look at the DBX they created, it's a, it's a yeah you know, for an SUV, it's a great looking car. Um, yeah, that said, if you look at what Volkswagens, you know, if you think that an Audi Q eight. Um, and a Bentley Bentayga and a Lamborghini Urus are all spun off the same platform. Now, you know, you may or may not think that you know, any one of those cars is good or not good looking or whatever, but you can't say they look the same. You know, a Bentayga and an Urus do not look, you know, do not look the same. Um, and so there is clearly within a platform or maybe it's just Volkswagen's platform there is considerable i mean i know for instance the Volkswagen platform you know you can have you, you can have i think it's available in three different wheelbases and clearly you can clothe it in a in a, in, a, in in very different ways so i never quite understood that point um, and whether it was i you know i'd need to see the books to know whether it was a it was a good idea to do your own platform in your own factory i mean at the time it struck me as being unbelievably bold ambitious maybe too bold and too ambitious but it's difficult to sit here and pronounce yes absolutely they shouldn't have done that because they didn't have the money and it was you know because you know a we don't know the numbers we don't know what it cost we don't know how much money they had to spend of it and b the evidence to date you know i don't hear stories of you know things falling off dbx's of the the factory lines breaking down or anything you know i you know i i've not heard any stories of that particular experiment having gone terribly wrong for them, so maybe um, it'll be fine. But I think I think the problem is, is that at the moment they've only got one car on that platform. So you know, it's like it's like in our world, in a magazine world, you know, there are big publishing groups which have lots and lots of magazines because then they can share the distribution cost, they can share the paper costs, they can share the print costs, and they, and they can do they can do all that. You get massive economies of scale. But if you if you built a factory which is brand new. And you've created a platform which is brand new, and those two things come together
1: to make one car difficult, isn't it? Yeah, you need to amortise those costs somehow. So I think it's probably, and well, we know this is going to happen. There needs to be some sort of plug-in hybrid version because people living in cities will soon need them, if not now, have to be, have to, um, be. yeah. But we think that is going to happen, don't we? That we think that's the the, the tie-in with Mercedes-Benz is going to facilitate. That. Yeah, I think it is going to happen,
0: but 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 not. But I don't think. I mean, it depends how quickly they can engineer it. But um, you know, it certainly wasn't on the immediate horizon um, of which i was aware at least when when andy palmer left but i mean i don't think that car can come too soon you know you and i might just sort of groan and think about you know god you know plug in hybrids but you know it's car manufacturers have to make cars that their customers want to buy and their customers may want to buy these cars you know not just because they drive amazingly or look fantastic but you know because actually they can afford them because they're hybrids and therefore they're you know, their, 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 their tax bill comes down. And it's a pretty unglamorous reason to want to buy a car. But if it works in the car's sell, then that's the, those are the cars you've got to make.
1: Mm, it's true. I suspect, you know, that Aston Martin, the, the credit that it should have got for building the DBX in the way it did on a bespoke platform was probably lost in all the frustration that Aston Martin was building an SUV in the first place. Um, it's an interesting... <laughs> probably it's kind of damned if you do damned if you don't um but uh, i'll I'll tell you i'll tell you the sorry i'll tell you the one thing about aston martin which
0: i thought was a shame when it got kicked into the long grass and i think that they could do it um particularly with um the increased nature of their relationship with mercedes-benz i thought the electric lagonda was a good idea Mm. yeah i agree because you know, if you think about, you know, we all worry about electric McLarens and electric Ferraris and electric Lamborghinis, because we can't see, and we've had this conversation on this podcast a few times, we can't see how you make a sports car, an electric sports car, exciting to drive. An electric luxury car. What do you want from a luxury car? You want silence and you want effortless power. You want an electric luxury car, don't you? You just do. Um And... Also, you know, there is nothing in that space at the moment. I don't know when Rolls-Royce are going to go all electric, but it's not for years. You know, Bentley aren't going to go all electric for years. Um, you know, in that super high luxury space, there was an absolute opportunity with a great name. I think that Lagonda is still a name that resonates. It's not like my back, which barely anybody could remember. I think Lagonda is a fantastic name. I think they had the name. I think they had the idea. And, you know, and I think that they could just, you know, based on a um, an EQS, maybe they're going to do this now. Maybe this is, you know, part of the plan. Maybe Tobias is, is, is listening to the podcast going, ha ha, if only you knew what I knew. I mean, maybe that's what they're going to do. And maybe they will take the EQS platform and they will rebody it and they will call it a Lagonda. And yeah, you know, as long as it looks right, I think that would be a really smart thing to do. Um, and it saddened me that they kicked it into the long grass. Yeah, it's, uh,
1: it, it would have been a smart thing to and clearly there'll be probably financial reasons for not doing it just yet. But the, the, other, the other upside of that strategy was that no one is wedded to the idea of a Lagonda with a big combustion engine, the no. way that we are with Aston Martins or with Ferraris or with Lamborghinis. So you could come along with a, an electric Lagonda, and idiot, idiots like us aren't going to go, an electric Lagonda, what? Well, you just sort of accept it, don't you, and you see the virtues in it. It
0: could um, be really cool. It could be really funky and really cool, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I mean that's actually that's a kind of electric car that I could really get on with. He said, "Huh?" But no, you know what I mean. I mean that's what, what I mean by that is that objectively, as a working journalist, that's the kind of electric car which I could see, you know, a really really good case for.
1: In the same way that I could see a really really good case for electric city cars. Yeah, um, potentially being better than the the combustion yes, engine absolutely. equivalent. That's absolutely. the point. Yeah. 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 Um Okay. So, what about the rest of the Aston Martin lineup? What are you doing with the performance cars?
0: I don't think you need a DBS, a DB11, and a Vantage, and a mid-engine car, and a, and, and a, and a sort of well, I mean, let's not talk about the sort of Valhalla because that's kind of a, a special, isn't it? So, but I mean, at the moment, they are heading for. Well, having a Vantage range, DB11 range, a DBS, um, the SUV, and uh, the Vanquish, the mid-engine car, um, and you know for little Aston Martin, that's I think that's just too, I just think that's just too many cars. Um, I, I I think I would amalgamate the DB11 and the DBS into a single car. I'd probably drop the DB11 um, because you know because you know the DBS is clearly the. The higher margin car i and then i just do more things of what i got i definitely i definitely stick a v12 on the vanquish not in the vanquish sorry in the vantage um because you know we know it fits um and i think that could be a hell of a machine um yeah hybrid in the in the dbx um and yeah and 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 also just not do you know the what do they do? The submersible, the helicopter, the jet craft, the you know, the, the, the Miami yeah, condo. And, park, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, 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 and all that sort of thing. And then, you know, think a bit more about, you know, ab- about pricing um, and just just control supply. If I'd say anything to all the, to these car manufacturers is just control the supply, because, you know, I understand completely the temptation to, you know, suddenly you come across this that you, you, you discover yourself with, that you have a car that you can sell. And so, of course, you sell them. But, you know, there's that eight-old adage about selling one less than the market demands. Um, and if you can do that, and therefore you can keep on top of your residuals, then, you know, I mean, that's what, you know, Porsche have done so well. It's actually it's actually what Ferrari have done, you know, very well. Um, they, and, and, and they sort of, and, and also, you know, they, they do very th- clever things like create, if you look at things like, you know, gt3 rs's or you know pistas or you know these are cars which traditionally people have regarded as being very special and uh think of it limited in nature but they're not they make as many of them as they can sell and yet they create this aura around them where they are somehow different they're somehow special um and you know and they love people you know like you and me whinging about other people we've heard of who can't get one They've tried hard, really, really hard, and they're really important people, and they can't get a GT3 and everything, and, and, and Porsche are so there. This is just lovely because it all just, you know, builds this image of these being special, you know, unobtainable, um, wonderful things. Um, and it's all about building an aura, isn't it? It's all about building an image. Um, and I would, I would just try to do that, um, you know, a lot more carefully. So I would, I would have fewer ranges. I'd do more of the ranges that I've got, and I would, reignite the Lagonda project
1: do you think uh, but, but base it on a Merce- on, on a Mercedes small yeah. electric platform yeah interesting do you think there's a case for scrapping the vantage I maybe maybe replacing yeah. it with a, a similarly priced yeah. mid engine if you look if you if you look
0: I mean you know Ferrari is the example because Ferrari have done so well um, I was talking to a friend of ours uh, who is rather more um, accomplished in the world of business than you or I um, and he was saying that what Ferrari has done so well is that the world outside, the market, if you like, um, particularly the financial market, sees Ferrari not as a car manufacturer, but as a luxury brand. Yeah, like a sort of Louis Vuitton or whatever. Um, and, and, and if you can do that, um, then you're in a whole other world, particularly in terms of your margins and everything else. And if you look at what Ferrari were charging for their entry-level car 10 or 20 years ago, compared to what they're charging now it's just done that
1: yeah
0: um i can remember somebody who doesn't work there anymore um told me you remember the 540c mclaren Mm. the entry-level mclaren which actually i drove once and i really really liked and i thought actually this is really good Uh, i can remember somebody saying to me that they did that because they didn't have the confidence to not do it they just felt because the company was so new uh, they had to have that offering in the marketplace. And they said if they'd had their time again, they wouldn't have done that car. Um, because you know, because effectively, it cost them the same to make as a 570S, which they could just charge 25 grand more for. Um, and so they're effective for every 540C, you know, that was 25 grand they weren't going to get. Um, and so I, I, you know, I, I think that there is an argument for Aston Martin to either not do the Vantage or just push it up, just really, really push it up and up and up. And the problem when you get with that is if you just say, okay, well, we're only going to sell V12 Vantages, then it kind of butts into the mid-engine car, doesn't it? Because, you know, it's a high-powered, expensive, two-seat, um, you know, crazy car. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think there is. Um, but, you know, that would require Aston Martin to decide to be a different sort of company because, you know, your volumes will be a lot lower if you don't have that kind of car but you know my view with that would that be well you know i'm aston martin you know we're never going to be a volume manufacturer i you know the aston martin to me if you had a choice between being high volume low margin or low volume high margin well i mean clearly you know aston martin is absolutely in the latter category so yeah i mean i think if it's if it made financial sense to do it then yeah i'd bite that bullet
1: yeah move up a notch it's kind of like the the dyson syndrome um and i know it's such a Sort of emotionally charged brand for a lot of people now, but what they never do is undervalue themselves, and they charge for for certain products. They charge multiples of what you would pay for a, a comparable product from another manufacturer. Yet people pay for them; they just do, and it's it's a phenomenally profitable business. Um, yeah, and so it, it demonstrates. But
0: even that so, but, it, but it's you know, but it's like you know, it's like Porsche, isn't it, and, and Ferrari. You know, they have. Big big margins on their things, uh, and, you know, and 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 they don't discount anything, and and also the other thing, uh, the other game that you know, that Ferrari play better than anybody else on earth is the options game. Yeah, I mean you know if you think about the amount of money that for, I mean it'd be very interesting to know that if you just take the average Ferrari, whatever it is, you know an F Tributo that they sell, boom, um, and you. Ferrari, if you could get for i tell you how much profit came from the base car and how much profit came from the options that were attached to that base car i'm betting plenty they make more out of the options than they do out of the car um and so and so and so that's a game which you know you know your carbon fiber boot linings and, and and all this nonsense that these people put on their cars um, and the way that and I have a little insight into this because I may know a few people who've been through this process, and the way that Ferrari just sort of, and, and through their dealerships, they just sort of nurture their relationship and gently persuade you that actually, you, you know, if you want to sell this car again, Mister Prosser, then actually we think you ought to have this on that because you know that's what people really, really want, and we're just looking at, and, and that is great. And and people go into these things with their eyes open, and you know, and and, and, and all's fair in and love and war.
1: I think, um, yeah, that that option strategy runs right the way through Ferrari from the the boardroom to the factory to the dealerships and to the point where, and this is anecdotal, perhaps it's not true, someone will tell me, but I think if you go and spec uh, a new Ferrari and you sit there in the spec room and you've got your car up on the big TV, they're slinging all these optional extras onto it and not telling you how much each one costs. And it's only when you walk out at the end that you're presented with a piece of paper with the, the bill on it. And most people they don't want to go oh god that's too expensive well, I, can't, I can't you take afford these that. away yeah, yeah yeah and so even if it's a bit rich for them they they swallow it don't they um,
0: it would ah. be interesting wouldn't it to go into uh, a ferrari dealer and say i want to buy a um you know an 812 and they go fine should we talk about the options and you go no i don't want any options i'd just like an 812 please i think they well, invite I mean, you to, to leave i don't know I don't want any options at all. I just want an eight twelve, please. Uh, you know, your list price for this car is two hundred and whatever it is. Yeah, uh, here's I will a check. Eight twelve, please. Yeah. <laughs> Good it will be an eight twelve.
1: I think I think they'd be very, very reluctant to <laughs> yeah, do it. I don't I
0: they? don't know, it's all right. I don't want car play on it. I don't want, I don't want anything on it.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't want parking sensors I don't, I, don't, I don't want embossed headrests I don't want shields I don't want any of that mm. I just want an 812 please
1: a bare bones 812 oh, could someone
0: if someone's listening to this could someone who's got more front than me could, and is and, <laughs> and, and unlikely to be a car, could someone just do that and just go into any supercar dealership and just try and order a standard car with no options nothing so what kind it. of response do you get it would be very the interesting With that, the, 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 the other the, the, the other big revenue stream is finance as well isn't it mm. um,
1: yeah you
0: know, they 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 love lending you money, don't they?
1: Yeah, they do, and to the point where, I mean, it's been it's been um, described. Ford, for instance, has been described as a bank more recently than With a car, car manufacturer. Company attached to it, yeah, 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 absolutely right. It's yeah. incredible because that's where they make their money. It's just amazing, really. Um, okay, well we've we've been through Aston Martin. Um, I think we should probably talk about some of the others. We have mentioned Ferrari and McLaren and Lamborghini. I think one of the things that I would want to do if I headed up one of those companies would find a way i would would want to find a way to cash in on this movement towards naturally aspirated cars with manual gearboxes lighter smaller not so much about lap time because there there does seem to be a real move towards this particularly within the, the enthusiast market and i suspect that for a car configured in the correct way you could charge an absolute fortune for it are are
0: you talking about like a sort of Gordon Murray type car or tell me tell me the car that you envisage because my fear is that what you say is wonderful but wrong that I just what I have come to realise over the decades I've been doing this job is that we're weird we we are weirdos okay that we, we we in no way represent Popular public opinion and what we want, and what I, well, when I say we're it, I don't just mean Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel, I mean everybody listening to this podcast, everybody who is on, you know, the 45,000 people who are, uh, who very kindly follow us, follow the intercooler, and so on, um, and what I would call proper car enthusiasts, because in total, we're still not a very large number of people, um, and what we want, you know. <laughs> isn't enough to keep any car company alive I fear um, but, but, but you, you, you you think that a certain certain sort of precisely targeted car could find sufficient resonance with enough people to earn the to, to, to pay back the cost of its creation
1: I th- I th- well it's so finger in the air isn't it I, I would be surprised if there wasn't a, a case to be made somewhere and even if it was a lost leader right because it would be dangerous for these car companies to completely disregard the the enthusiast market entirely because they they do need people like us but also owners out there in the market um praising these cars and longing to own these cars and the moment that you disregard people like us and build machines purely for you know people in central london who are just who are literally going to drive around the congestion charging zone in their supercars I think you lose, over time you lose an awful lot of credibility um, and that surely is is what these companies sort of trade on more than anything else so I, I just think it's important that they continue to, to produce vehicles that really do get people like us going and Porsche with their GT cars is perhaps the best example of that at the moment but uh, I, yes, but, um, yeah, I mean,
0: I, you, 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 are absolutely correct. And Porsche do do that. But, um, you know, they are Porsche and they do have a lot of other stuff and you know we don't actually know how much money they make out of this i suspect they do make money out of gt3 rs but nobody's ever said to me that that they they do make money i mean what worries me about that approach um and anybody who 35 minutes into this podcast thought we, we might actually go an entire podcast without mentioning your your alpine a110 i'm afraid i'm about to disappoint you um but you look at the alpine now what do we know we know three things about the alpine one is that it's a wonderful car um Secondly, that it's not selling very well. Thirdly, that you can't get a manual gearbox. Now, if you can't have a manual gearbox, if there's not the market for a stick in a car like an A110, um, and we know that there is a market, and we know that Alpine say that there's nothing they'd like to do more than put a stick in an A110, but there just isn't enough demand out there to justify justify the cost of doing the engineering programme that would be required to do that. If you can 't even do that for an alpine, what chance is there for you know for anything else because if surely if there's a car of the kind that you're talking about the alpine is it
1: well I think I realistically you're looking at a much higher price point than the alpine probably ten times that because there has to be margin in it um, I, I I so wish that there was uh, demand for an alpine sized car with an n a engine with a manual box but Realistically, you know it. I know it. It, it. It's just not out there. You can't build a case around that, that kind of vehicle at fifty, sixty grand. But at half a million quid, maybe you could. I just think: do do the likes of Ferrari want smaller independents like Gordon Murray Automotive to come along and mop up that whole sector, or do they need to have half an eye on it and go, well, at some point we're going to have to claim our slice of that pie?
0: Yeah yeah i mean it is isn't it you know it's all about credibility and it's all about the product but the thing is is that you know although you know something like a pista doesn't have a manual gearbox you know when we go and drive pieces we still come away thinking and saying wow that's an amazing piece of gear um and you know and and the one thing you cannot accuse ferrari of is resting on its laurels and just sort of ignoring the product there was a time when would it have been sort of 30 years ago um when ferrari did absolutely do that um and it had a bit of a product drought and it's it got itself into a bit of trouble in the early 90s um but for everything else that ferrari does well you know and we we laugh about you know about the finance and the options and um and the way that they you know manage their customers and everything else they can only do that because they make bloody good cars and at the end of the day um, everybody knows who buys one of those things um, that that's what they're going to get. And and the product stacks up. And, and to me, with all these things, and because I'm a fairly simple, binary way of thinking kind of guy, it all just comes down to the product, isn't it? Isn't it? And, and and again, without sort of wishing to sort of you know plug ourselves uh, and what the, you and I will shortly be doing and talking more about, um if anybody's heard about this um online magazine we're going to be launching, it's going to be all about the product. Um and because, you know, ultimately that's what, you know, you can have all the marketing and all the finance and all the clever options, blah, 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 all, all the sort of peripheral stuff. But at the heart of it, you've got to have something that people want. And something that's good. Um and, you know, and I think that there are
1: sort of some slightly strange parallels between, you know, our world and that world. But so just to, just to wrap things up then, we know that these car manufacturers, particularly in Europe, have only nine years now to carry on building combustion engine cars with no hybrid component. Now, would you quietly acquiesce to that and phase out uh, development of combustion ca- engines and gradually the way that Mercedes-AMG is with the C63, uh, try, move towards a four-cylinder turbo engine with a hybrid component for the C63? Or would you... While you can, make hay while the sun shines. And would you, in the final throes of the combustion engine, would you really do what you could to celebrate them now? Or is that just not financially viable at all? I think in an era of such colossal
0: uncertainty, I think you have to, as far as possible, try to keep your options open. Because I am not, you know, we sit here now and we've heard... You know, car manufacturers, I think many of them far too quickly leap to say, right, fine, that's it. You know, we're not going to be building, we're not going to be investing anything in internal combustion engines. We're going to go all electric. You know, and, you know, and, and car companies who, for whom their electric journey is going to be really, really bloody difficult. Because as we've said a million times, how do you build an electric sports car? How do you build an electric car that is great to drive? Nobody has yet to come up with an answer, a convincing answer to that question. Um, and I would not slam the door completely shut on the internal combustion engine because we have also talked about synthetic fuels and the possibilities that they bring i i heard i think yesterday that um the carrera cup that supports the grand prix season uh i think it's as of next year is going to be fueled entirely by synthetic fuel Um, and you know i understand that there are issues with it but to me they seem to me to be many of the same sorts of issues that you always get with emergent technologies. you know it's difficult to do it's expensive but if enough people get behind it i mean the numbers i mean porsche say that in well-to-wheel terms um synthetic fuel um is as clean as electricity um and you can make it all from renewables and you can stick it in your internal combustion engine and so with that knowledge is it sensible to go Forget it. We're not going to do anything. Here. Goodbye, internal combustion engines. You know our sports car brand, which is means everything to us. We're going to stake it all on electric motors and batteries, which are the same in every car that you get, which have no distinguishing characteristics and are differentiated. So we will only be able to differentiate on price. Uh, which means one way we'll sell more cars than you is to be cheaper than you. And so everything gets dri- driven down to the most common denominator or it's fluffy stuff, it's options. And, and, and what you get then is a world of, um, ultimately the way this is going is you will have a very, very small number of um, companies just creating platforms and other car manufacturers will just bolt their own bodies onto them. Because why wouldn't you do that? Why would, you, why would all the different car companies around the world each make their own skateboard? Because a skateboard is a skateboard, isn't it? It doesn't matter. They will have the same motors. They will have the same batteries. So why not just get one or two companies to make... I mean, apparently all the television screens in the world are made by two companies because a television screen is a television screen. Um, And that's where we're going. Um, Unless... An alternative be- becomes available in the time that is remaining, and I would not, while there is breath in my body, turn my literally t- 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 turn my back against that, even the possibility of that being the case. I would keep a back door open um, so that if it actually turns out that synthetic fuel or something else we haven't f- thought of um, does have some kind of future, um, that w- th- that my company would then be in
1: a position to make something of it. Mm. Ten years from now, as the the boss of a sports car company, yeah, you might you might look back and go, Crikey, we really should have looked a bit harder at this synthetic synthetic fuel stuff if there's another company out there doing wonders with combustion engines still. Um, it's yeah. I think um, the answer
0: is to I think the answer is to do both. I mean, you know, we hmm. we, we have discussed. I mean, I think that electric architecture will get to the point where it actually is perfectly feasible for almost all journeys, almost all the time. Um, and the world I see, uh, cars are divided into transport and things you want to drive, and mm. the transport's electric, and the stuff you and the stuff you want to drive is powered by synthetic fuel. I don't see mm. why that can't happen. Interesting.
1: Well, there we go. I suspect we were both just about at the limits of our. Uh, knowledge and capabilities there (laughs) perish the thought Uh, we'd be interested to get some feedback on this and and see what what listeners think but it's certainly I think the one thing we have highlighted is just how difficult it is to be leading one of these companies at the moment because there are so many unknowns and such change um, quite rapid change so yeah again I just don't envy the people who are steering these ships good luck to them all um, Absolutely. Well, okay, we'll, we'll wind that one up there. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast, uh, leave a rating and a review, please. That really does help. And we'll talk to you again next week.
0: Look forward to it. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.